The difference between having a great quarter, making your number, or reporting a bad quarter often comes down to the effectiveness of your sales team's discovery calls and demos. But how do you make sure your reps are doing the right things on their calls in order to finish the quarter strong? Well, introducing Gong.io, the number one conversation intelligence platform for B2B sales teams. Gong helps you ensure your reps are doing deep discovery calls and crisp sales demos by recording, transcribing, and analyzing their calls. And Gong allows you to understand how well your playbook is being followed and analyze how well it's working so you can constantly move the needle on your win rates. Now, if you request a demo of Gong as a result of hearing this message, you'll get a free ebook copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling, 10 Essential Steps to Accelerate Every Company's Sales. So go to gong.io forward slash accelerate to request your no-obligation demo and get your copy of my award-winning book, Zero Time Selling. Again, that's gong.io forward slash accelerate, G-O-N-G dot I-O forward slash accelerate. So go there now and come back and enjoy today's episode. This episode of Accelerate is brought to you in part by Discover.org. Looking to close four times as many deals in half the time? Discover.org's industry-leading, human-verified sales intelligence gives you all of the data and insights, like direct dials, org charts, planned projects, verified emails, and executive moves, you need to stop wasting time on research and spend more time talking to the right decision-maker with the right message at the right time. Their team of 250-plus sales researchers do all the work so that you don't have to. 2,500 companies are already using Discover.org to win more deals. So check them out at www.discoverorg.com. That's www.discoverorg.com. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 579 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record. I want to give a big aloha to my guest today. That's Tiffany Bova. Tiffany is the global customer growth and innovation evangelist for Salesforce.com. And somehow, somebody convinced her to actually leave Oahu, where she is living, and relocate to the mainland. And I have to tell you, if I was in her shoes, that would have been a tough sell for me. Because, um, gosh, I love Hawaii. Anyway, on today's conversation, we're going to dive into the topic of buying. And we're going to talk about why selling has always been more about the buyer than the seller. And this is, this is going to be a great companion to the conversation I had in my last episode with Jay Baer about the customer experience and the impact of that on the purchase decision. So we're also going to explore today why the funnel is no longer an applicable metaphor for the buying process and talk about the four parallel streams that buyers actually work through to arrive at a purchase decision. Now, if you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, go to andypaul.com forward slash 579. Now, in the last couple of weeks, I've been talking about a new report that we just produced. It's based on the input of over 300 leading entrepreneurs, sales thought leaders, experienced executives, people I've interviewed right here on Accelerate. And this report is all about what you can do to amp up and accelerate your sales right now. I mean, you might, you might be surprised what the experts recommend be the first thing you should do to get your sales back on track. Now, this report is free, so you want to go to accelerate.fm forward slash accelerate to get your copy right now. That's accelerate.fm forward slash accelerate to get your copy now. Now, before we get to Tiffany, let me remind you that today's show is brought to you in part by our friends at gong.io. Gong analyzes your sales calls and demos so you can understand what's working and what's not. It's a great coaching tool to help managers boost rep productivity. So check it out at gong.io forward slash accelerate. If you do that today, you also 
receive a free PDF copy of my award-winning, best-selling book, Zero Time Selling. And in case you missed the beginning of the show, this episode is also brought to you by our great partner, Discover Org. The Discover Org platform is a game-changer for sales, marketing, and staffing professionals. The feature-rich sales intelligence platform is supported by 250-plus researchers who continually update the contact data and provide account-specific insights to help sales and marketing teams break ahead of the pack. So see the product live at discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. That's discoverorg.com forward slash schedule hyphen demo. You know, this week we're celebrating the second anniversary of Accelerate. I mean, hundreds of great conversations. I mean, two years ago today, my guest was the incredible Dan Waldschmidt. As in episode two, we talked about how to achieve outrageous success in life and business. So we'd like to know what's been your favorite episode, who's been your favorite guest. If you need to review the episodes, the list of episodes, we have a complete list on my website at andypaul.com, upper nav bar. Under podcasts, you'll see a listing for a complete episode list. Click on that. And then leave us a message. Let us know which one you really liked. And maybe there's a guest you want us to have back on the show again. So two ways you can send us that message. One is go to andypaul.com. In the lower right-hand corner of the homepage is a red button that says Ask a Question. But in this case, you're going to send us a message, and this get an audio message. So click on that, leave an audio message. Who's been your favorite guest, your favorite episode, maybe who you'd like to see. Everybody that sends us a message will send you a signed copy of my best-selling book, Amp Up Your Sales. Just need to remember to leave us your mailing address. All right. So finally, before we get to the interview, I remind you that we also want to hear your questions about sales and sales management, the challenges that you're facing on a daily basis and how maybe we can help you with that. So each week, if you submit a question, I'll choose one from those submitted the previous week and we'll answer that with my co-host Bridget Gleason on the Friday episode, Frontline Fridays. The winner, the person who submitted the question we answer will win a free half hour coaching call with me. That's more than a $250 value. So don't delay. You want to send those today. So two ways to send your questions. One, actually three ways. You can connect with me on LinkedIn and send it to me via LinkedIn, as, as one person has done. Uh, otherwise, you can send it to me at andy at andypaul.com. Or again, go to the homepage of andypaul.com, red button on the lower right-hand corner. says, ask a question. Click on that. Leave us your question via an audio message. And if it's a winning question, with your permission, we're going to play that on the air. All right. Give us your questions. I think we took care of all the business we need to take care of, so let's jump into it now with Tiffany Bova. Tiffany, welcome to Accelerate. Oh, thanks for having me. Or I should say aloha, maybe. Yes, always aloha. It's always better. Always better, yeah. Aloha and mahalo. So, as a Hawaii native. So, um, standard question I open the show with for all my guests is, in your opinion, what's, what's the single biggest challenge facing sales reps today? <laughs> so, I'll, I'll answer that professionally and then personally, because okay. I think it's two different answers. Yeah. Sure. I, I think the the challenge is now that the customers are far more in control. Um, and I know that it's probably a topic that's been overexposed. Um, yes. Yes. But yep. Yeah, I mean, whether it's, you know, Gartner Research or CEB Research or the Challenger Sale or just pick one, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, is I'd say that the customers are more prepared. Uh, and so the challenge is, as salespeople, I think we as a group 
have a little bit of fatigue on all the change and hype that's come at us over the last couple of decades. It all depends how long you've been selling. You know, if mm-hmm. you've been doing this for five years or 10 years or 15 or 20, like I have, you know, you, you're definitely into the fatigue mode. Um, but I'd say that uh, that that pace of acceleration is not slowing. And so it forces you in a profession to always be honing your skills and and that means personal skills, but also your skills with technology. So I think that that that's a big challenge to kind of keep pace with sure. the customers. Yeah. Um, well, before, per- before, before oh, you move on ahead. to the personal side, yeah. though, is, it seems to me that part of the fatigue, though, that comes is that it's the people who aren't continuously honing their skills and aren't learning. You know, they're just sort of watching it happen to them. And, and to me, those are the ones that that suffer the most fatigue, or oftentimes guests on the show talk about overwhelm. Right? Is that you know, if you're engaged, it's not like this thing is happening independent of you. I mean, you're supposedly engaged, right? As a salesperson, you're engaged in what's happening with your customers. It's not like it's evolving 180 degrees overnight. When you have to, you yeah. have to be, you have to be engaged, as you talked about, in these, in this learning and this adaptation of new technology and so on, so that you don't feel so overwhelmed. Yeah, and so that would be the personal side. My personal answer would have been oh. you constantly, yeah, but, and <laughs> and but it's a great segue, right? Is that you constantly have to be a student of your profession and the profession of selling is, is yes, the act of, you know, getting a customer to buy whatever it is you are selling, but there's also lots of other things in that are included in that, you know, storytelling, tenacity, um, follow through, Mm -hmm. uh, being prepared, like all of those things. So being a student of your profession may mean, look, I'm going to start to, I want to really hone in on a particular vertical. So I'm going to go and, you know, listen to podcasts, or I'm going to read the industry magazine or join an association or take a class or do something, right? Or go to a trade show that that gets me embedded and understands the language of a particular vertical or industry. So it could be learning in that way. It could sure. be the social social selling tools that are coming at us, you know, a hundred a day. Mm-hmm. So what what are the things, which one works for me and for my habits and my personality? Um, you could be learning to present better, you know, take a, someone asked me the other day, you know, what would you recommend? Cause I speak a lot and you know, how, how did you get better? And I said, this guy happened to be a, a, an introvert, super introvert. And I said, you know, maybe go take like a, um, drama class, right. Mm-hmm. Or a, uh, you know, an, 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 improv, an improv class, class. Absolutely yeah, improv. and just get out of your comfort zone. So when I say on the personal side, challenging is you constantly have to be challenging yourself to learn. And I think even if you're a high performer, like even if you consistently hit quota and you always do well, and you know, everybody wants you to work for them and on their team and all those things, that's all great. Uh, and, and impressive, but that doesn't mean next quarter it's going to be the same, right? You you may, I think the biggest competition now is for sellers is a more educated uh, and intelligent seller and not from the brain, but from the tools. And so, you know, you have to keep up with a different pace of seller now. So I think those two questions complement each other, you know, the question you asked, the two sides of it, both professionally and personally, right? Always being a learner and then uh, making sure that you don't just ignore things because of fatigue that will put you at a disadvantage in the future. Well, and so as we consider the future a little bit is, you know, where there's certainly a, a picture painted of the impact of AI and machine learning and, you know, AI-driven bots and so on on the whole business-to-business sales front. And I think it was Forrester or somebody that there <laughs> sort of apocalyptic uh, forecast that you know twenty percent of B two B sales jobs will be gone within three years. Um, 
you know, what do you what do you see sort of coming, and what that means in terms of these behaviors that you just talked about? Um, you know, do people have to double down? Do they have to become better in one specific area versus another in order to maintain their relevance? Yeah, I didn't agree with the uh, oh, stat either, that you just. Yeah, <laughs> did, I, I didn't agree with. Well, I didn't agree with it for a couple of reasons, right? Remember where I used to work? Sure, sure. <laughs> the competitor, <laughs> so right? Little, ha, yeah, having a little fun with that. But uh, but I would say, um, you know, today it is so much more. Going back to this previous question that you just asked, is using technology, whether it's bots, machine learning, analytics, intelligence, big data, etc to augment the human relationship side of selling is where I think there is huge opportunity for improvement. I think salespeople who ignore or, you know, sort of push aside the fact that I'm never going to be replaced or that's ridiculous. It, it isn't, you know, it isn't about uh, the rise of the machines and the replacement of the human. It's about empowering people to do things differently, to work smarter and more effectively in a time compressed window where customers, prospects are making decisions so much more quickly and are so much further down that buyer journey, right? So you have to marry the two with, um, I think it will always augment. And so I do think the greatest competition for any seller is if you are a seller who doesn't use analytics and intelligence and bots and all the things that are now at your disposal, and you're competing against someone who does, even if you have a superior product, you risk being outsold because of it. And I think there are those some some layers of of sales, though, that yeah, are a little more threatened than others. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I don't think that, uh, I think you can sort of make it happen to yourself if you just sort of get complacent. But, yeah. but it seems like yeah, you know, look at the way we sort of structure SaaS sales these days. It seems like, and we're already seeing some of this, right? That maybe at the SDR level, that there are technologies that come in that could substantially supplant what they're doing. Yeah, and and so so let's that's a great a great example. So even account based marketing and sales development reps, when you think about, uh, you know, when I used to do it, and I'd say, look, I you know I'm looking for you know 100 new deals, and so top of my funnel is at 6,000 people and I just start dialing for dollars? Like, I mean, we've mm-hmm. all done it. Right. Um, or do I say, is it really 6,000? I got 6,000 names. I put in some, you know, an algorithm or some if this, then that, and I get the list down to 2,000. And then I say, okay, I'm going to do one more cleanse of that so that I get down to a manageable number so that when looking for 200, 250 customers, I'm actually calling the best opportunities instead of calling all 6,000. And Mm -hmm. so as an SDR rep or an account-based marketing rep, uh, you know, I am doing, once again, going back to the best use of my time and using intelligence in that way. uh, I think that that has huge opportunity for, I think sales development reps can become much more effective. I think account-based marketing can be much more targeted. I think if you're, once again, not using those tools, then you're at the 6,000 names and you're just trying to drive through the funnel. Well, I mean, but I, my question was, and your example is a good one to, to sort of pursue is, yeah, if you're trying to parse 6,000 down into, let's say, the 200, 250 names, is if you have specific specs, I mean, you could have an algorithm, basically, the machine could do that mm-hmm. for you in a, in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, I, I'm actually saying that. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Well, I'm saying, yeah, but I'm then saying. where's the value for the SDR at that point? Still making the phone call? Because 
already there are people talking about, yeah, I've got bots. Like if all we're doing is setting up an appointment for a demo or something, I've got a bot that can do that. Yeah, it goes back to that personal side of it. Of mm-hmm. Machines not replacing the relationship, right? So I think replacing the, and I'm not by any stretch saying that what an SDR rep does or someone in account-based marketing is it's mundane in its function. It's very important. But the task is something that can be automated. But the relationship, I don't believe is. Well, I agree. So, yeah. So if you take it from 6,000 to 250, then the the SDR rep is just always working the best 250. And now they can do really unique things around, you know, video selling or, uh, you know, doing things that are, are much more compelling door openers with, once again, going back to that, you know, I'm really prepared. So I, I, I think that the culling of those names, I don't know about you, but when I used to have to call down 4,000 names, I would much rather have preferred a machine doing it for me <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, than, than doing it myself, right? And then just getting to that 250, well, uh, you, I actually, yeah. I was going to say, then you can really personalize it, right? I mean, the sort of the, absolutely. The, sort of the fiction of a lot of goes goes on at the SDR level is we're doing this quote-unquote mass personalization, which is a, a fiction we all serve adhere to. But if you can really get it down to 250 names, then you can actually then start working on building that relationship. And I don't know if you've read Jeff Colvin's book, you know, Humans Are Underrated, but he talks about, you know, in this age of automation, that you know, the skills that are gonna be most emphasized and valued by employers are becoming more human, right? Because <laughs> is having more empathy, being able to build relationships, collaborate, co-create with with customers. Those are the things that if you can really develop become more valuable. Right. And there's no way you can do it at a scale of 5,000 or 6,000, but you, but you can find a way to do it at 250. Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 you know, that also makes the assumption that we're talking about the relationship between human and human. Yes. But we also have this automation happening of machine selling to machine. You know, if I work right. on a, a manufacturing floor and I need a thousand more widgets and the machine knows that I have an order for 5,000 and I only have 4,000 widgets on hand, that the machine automatically orders out an additional yep. two or 3,000 widgets. And that may have, quote unquote, replaced a salesperson. Let's just play that out. Right? And, and probably and, has and, to a certain degree. And probably already. has, right? Yeah, but if not years that ago. But that doesn't. Yes, absolutely. But that doesn't then mean that that salesperson now isn't now in there talking about you know what? How can we do just in time manufacturing and mm-hmm. maybe more services? And so they're not worried about the widget and they're not driving in a car and they're not you know doing all these additional expenses. That now it's far more accurate. They can do pipeline. They can do predictive analytics around, you know, what do they think they're going to close because the machine starts to learn, the business ebbs and flows, and now you can be uh, much more focused on, as a seller, the success of your customer in whatever it is they're building with that widget, right? So now I can refocus on the customer success versus worrying about the widget. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what what always cracks me up is I I say, I'd love to listen in on the pipeline call between the thing and the thing when they're talking about (laughs) what orders are in the pipeline, right? And hey, man, this one has slipped. Like, I want to hear that call, uh, you know, between the, uh, you know, the the machine and the machine. So, you know, you can have some fun on it. But then how do you wrap around experience when things are selling to things, right? Because now you have this supply chain, and I use that in quotes. Right. I don't mean the traditional supply, but the selling, the selling process, if you will, may bounce between human, machine, 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 human, 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 machine, right? I mean, you may be bouncing between those two, whether it's analytics and then something pushes to a sales rep and then they follow up the human that they enter it into the CRM system or it happens automatically and then the machine does something else and then it drops something back into their calendar. You know, And so it's this back and forth between automation, machine learning and intelligence and the human side where the customer only maybe sees the human side, which is great. 
But if you have a long tail of thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of customers, we know that it becomes far more automated and automating uh, or scaling personalization and automation is really tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I I love talking about this stuff because it's, you know, A, whatever we predict is probably going to be wrong, but to some degree, but, but there is this change coming as, as we've talked about. And it's, you, I don't know, I was just talking to somebody who has just written a book that's basically, you know, the premise is, is that, you know, salespeople are just being complacent and passive overall, you know, his overall impression. And we're, and it's like, well, if that's really the case, then, which I don't necessarily agree with at all, but, but, you know, you see sort of a doom and gloom scenario coming because it's like, okay, if you're really passive, then you're not investing in the things that you spoke about early on, but they need to invest both personally and professionally in order to maintain relevance. Yeah, and I think it's like this in every profession. I find it fascinating um, still, you know, and 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 throughout my career, I've gone from, you know, I call myself a recovering seller, which some people take offense to that statement, but it, which is always funny because I'm like, it's because I still feel like I bleed sales blood, even mm-hmm. though I don't carry a quota. And really doing podcasts like this and the work that I do is about fighting the fight, the good fight, right, right. for salespeople, et cetera. So I feel like I vicariously get to sell through this wonderful community known as salespeople. But, um, you know, I, I would say this is that uh, we just haven't been able to cross the chasm of getting sales to not be sort of like the other four letter word. Mm. You know, we've got, we've got MBAs on marketing and you've got, you know, but we don't yet have it pretty widespread on sales. It's kind of just, it's a, it's an electoral or it's part of the MBA class or it's part of the, you know, MBA mm. marketing class. And so you've got professors as, as you know, you and I know a number of them in common at, at, at USC, Steve Martin or Frank at, at Harvard, or, I mean, there's a number but it's not very prevalent. And so, no. you know, the other day there was a, a Twitter handle that said, you know, three words to disappoint your mother or something like that. The hashtag was three words that disappoint your mother. So I I tweeted out, um, I want to be a salesperson. <laughs> I'm going into sales, right? And so it's sort of this, you know, profession that has this underbelly tone to it. And, and I think people don't take it seriously because I think everywhere in life we sell in some way. But those that, you know, make their living and, you know, build their families and their homes and their retirement and everything around the craft and profession of selling, you have to take it seriously like any other profession, not, you know, well, I'm doing this, you know, for a little bit, I'm working at this retailer, or I'm work selling cars or whatever, just sort of part time as I do something else versus a career salesperson um, is like any other career. You know, you, you just, um, have to, we, we have to, as an industry, right. Find a way to, to position it as something of value and not as, uh, we have to have it. Well, and this, so here's an interesting question. I think it's an interesting question for you is this perception of sales in my experience and mine is longer than yours is that, yeah, we have this perception from the outside of salespeople, not always being a, you know, a positive perception. But I've worked in lots of companies where it really started at the top and had the same perception, right? That sales was this necessary, quote-unquote, evil. And so I think when we look talk about changing the culture, it's, 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 it works in both directions. It has to start with, within a corporation as well as external, with the customer. Yeah, and I, it, what, what I think, there's a couple of things. I think that, uh, and I totally agree with that comment. Uh, you know, you can have engineering driven companies, you know, I sort of have lived my sales career around technology. So I'll, I'll use that. Yeah. So, you know, you have engineering driven companies where 
the the and I'm overgeneralizing, you know, the technology, the product can sell itself. We just have salespeople out there taking orders, which we know that that has been the case for a long time. But right. let's just play that out. Okay. Right. Then you'll have some that are very um, operationally efficient led, right? They're just driving cost out so that they can increase profit and they're selling, et cetera. And, and then you have some that are very, you know, customer now much more than ever, right? Customer centric, customer experience, customer success driven. And, and then there's some that are very sales driven. Um, and it, you're right. It has to start at the top. And I would say that over the last probably decade, um, especially in technology sales, the gap between the marketing and sales organization, I fear, has gotten larger. And so that animosity sort of pointing back and forth. And some people listening may say, oh, that doesn't happen at my company. And it may not happen at the executive level. But when you're talking about an individual quota carrying rep who goes, you know, marketing doesn't add any value and marketing goes, sales never follows up on my leads. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, this is where uh, it, it has to now with that customer going back to, you know, the, the this com commentary that's been going on for a long time around the customers more in charge, et cetera, is it for the sake of the customer, marketing sales and now customer service has to be so tightly connected because if they're not, the implication is the fact that the customer has a really horrible experience with the brand. And executives start to notice that in a number of ways. Sales is declining, churn is increasing, CSAT is declining, net promoter score mm -hmm. is declining, you know, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And and then they turn, and it's so funny when people go, oh, well, I think, you know, marketing owns customer experience. And someone will say, well, I think customer service owns customer experience. And then, you know, the customer service, uh, customer experience officer or chief customer officer says, I own customer experience. And I always say, listen, the customer, when they have something that is really good to share or they need something, they don't pick up the phone and go, hey, I want to talk to the chief marketing officer or the product marketing guy or the CFO or you, that's not who they say. They say, I want to talk to my sales guy. And when there's a problem, mm -hmm. same thing. Yep. You know, they'll say, I got to call my sales guy. So the salesperson is at the front line of, I want to tell you something really good. And I also want to tell you something really bad. So if you don't, as an organization, understand that the connection point between the brand and the customer more often than not is a person who carries whatever title, but the role of selling. Mm -hmm. Right. And so now that's why I said customer service, even more so upsell, cross sell, uh, you know, churn, uh, saving a churn or an account save. Uh, we even have some stats out there that are saying 25% of quotes leaving CRM systems are now going to be generated by customer service agents. Oh, so, customer success, I would expect. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I think, I so, think the, there was a stat I heard about the SaaS, uh, SaaS business in the Valley that already today, more than 50% of the revenue is generated through customer success. Yeah, and, and that's a sort of a new term, right? So customer success means what? It, I was on a panel a number of months back, and, and I had fun with a, with, a, with a friend of mine. And uh, we were talking about, you know, what's the difference between customer experience, customer success, customer service, sales, you know, <laughs> right, et cetera. And, and, and. you know, I'm all, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I, I'm, of the, I'm of the mindset that customer experience is what a customer feels, so we want them to feel good about our brand and how they experience it online, offline, with the product, et cetera. And that's hard to quantify, mm -hmm. you know, in a metric, if you will. Customer success may be, hey, listen, you know, we happen to sell e-commerce software. And we can see that customers who have deployed our software are selling 
millions, hundreds of millions, billions of dollars through our stuff, right? We are helping them be successful in their business. And right. so the metric may be, are they growing? If they're growing and they're using our technology or our products or whatever it might be, then we're helping them grow, then they are having success with us. And so mm-hmm. someone who's responsible for making sure the customer is successful using whatever it is you're selling, I think that that's success. Also, tough to measure. Uh, yes. Customer support, right, maybe it's still kind of, there's a problem and so someone calls. And so, and I agree with not always making it associated with problem, <laughs> mm-hmm. which customer service may be. Right. So, so I like it if it is really a true cultural mindset a mindset shift. But if it's just, hey, it's the new word of the week and I'm going to spin it up, you know, so that now my customer service agents are now customer success agents and nothing has changed from the behavior or the tool or the metric or anything, then I'm not a fan. No. Well, I think it's it's interesting. You brought this up in an article that you'd written that I was just reading recently is that, you know, one of the real problems with customers and with sales organizations like is it's a problem for the customer if they feel that every other person, every different person they speak to at your company sounds like they're coming from a different company as opposed to having alignment around how they how they deal with the customer. And well, that's what I was saying, that connection between those three, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And it's, I was just sort of reiterating that because it's, it's, you know, oftentimes people don't, they don't consider that at all. And it doesn't really matter how large or small a company or enterprise you are, they're selling to a customer. Yeah, they need to, if they feel like it's a distinct experience dealing with sales versus customer success or customer service versus whomever else the customer-facing person they deal with, that leads to churn. Absolutely. And, you know, I think it's three things. I think the silos between the teams, I'm just going to focus on customer-facing teams at the moment, sort of, you know, customer service, marketing, sales. The silos between those teams, in in my opinion, it is driven by the metrics not aligning, Mm -hmm. oversimplifying, marketing, how many leads, good, bad, doesn't matter how many leads. Once again, oversimplifying. Sales, did you sell it? Did you not sell it? (laughs) Did you hit your quota? Did you not hit your quota? Once again, oversimplifying. <laughs> and then service, you know, how, how fast did you resolve an issue from the customer? Get off the phone in two minutes. And if you think of the, about those just at face value, they're running those teams, individual contributors, in three very different directions. And so until, you know, once again, at the executive level, there may be alignment. At the individual contributor level, that gap gets big when the metrics don't align themselves. So mm-hmm. if you say, well, the executives are measured at, overall company churn, overall company revenue, and overall company net promoter score. I'm just saying that, right? How do you translate that to an in- individual contributor? Maybe that you have to get a shared common metric across those three. Uh, maybe it is churn. Maybe it is uh, CSAT scores. Maybe mm-hmm. it is lifetime value. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe it is uh, you know average sale and then you know the recency of a repurchase. Whatever the metric is where you can get those three groups aligned marching in the same direction, the customer is the one who benefits from it. Yeah, and, and so obviously I think that's one of the things that's attractive to companies about account-based sales, account-based marketing is, is it provides a, a pretext, if you will, for alignment. Yeah, and, and this goes back to your comment earlier, it has to start at the top. And so if, if it isn't about aligning the execs, right, it's about really thinking about uh, that we just did some recent research at at Salesforce uh, on sort of high performing sales teams, high performing marketers, and high performing you know customer service. We have three separate reports, and and if you look at the top three things, and and everyone says collaboration is key, and all, but then the metrics are misaligned. 
And so when you see high performers and you double click underneath that, you definitely see it's because they have collaboration, aligned metrics, the teams are uh, you know, often collaborating on a deal, there's very smooth handoffs, you know, there's sort of natural behaviors. But if the executives try to create a much more, there's kind of no other way to say this, right, competitive environment between right. the three groups, right. um, it, it, it backfires, right? I get competition and I think competition is good. And I think there are certain personalities that are driven by competition, but there are other personalities that are not driven by competition, right? They're driven by the relationship and collaboration. And then, you know, so not everyone is motivated by the competition, even people in sales. Not everybody is motivated by the competition. Well, and it's it's sort of strange credulity to say, well, on what basis are marketing and sales competing anyway? Right? I mean, oh. the, I mean well, you could argue, well, you could we argue can, that today, right? Because right, we can marketers argue. say, you could, marketers say, oh, we own the buyer journey. And if sure. you read the CEB stats or others, right, they're 68% through the buyer journey. So you could argue marketing is doing 68% of the heavy lifting of quote unquote selling. So what do we really need salespeople for? Because then at the end of that 68%, all they're doing is taking an order. Right. And I'm being the devil's advocate here. Right. right? And then you have serious decisions that you know, looks at completely differently. So um, in terms of how far you're into that buyer's journey. So, I mean, that said, everybody's got their stats. But I, I look at those, the thing that, the example you brought up is sort of a turf war, not a real competition, right? I mean, I look at competition as, yeah, we're going head to head to achieve something. And I'm either going to achieve it or you're going to achieve it. And... Yeah, I see the turf war, but I, I don't see the competition, right? So it's like, yeah, I understand this. You know, see, I've worked for CEOs. I thought, hey, you know, this creative tension between sales and marketing is something we want to cultivate because you yeah. know, it creates better outcomes when it never does. Yeah, and I think uh, to your point, and I agree with you, I, I, I would say it slightly different as the sort of the control, mm -hmm. right, and, and ownership. Yeah, we're fighting for the steering wheel. Yep, we're fighting for the steering wheel, um, yet we're all in this car. And <laughs> we're running so, down the road, 60 miles an hour. We're fighting over the steering wheel. Yes. So if I'm like looking that there's a truck on the right and I let the driver know, hey, there's a truck on the right or, hey, I'm on my, you know, I'm on my app and I see there's traffic up here. Maybe we can take this exit and bypass the traffic. And we're all sort of politely co-piloting. Um, we're all going to get there, you know, much more safely and quickly and efficiently. And so uh, I think people, your right groups will fight for the steering wheel. Um, and in certain situations, there's no way everyone can own it. And there are certain parts of the buying journey and the selling process that are owned by various groups at various times. But what's most important is the handoff between the two and the community or the three, right? And the communication right. between them. Yeah. Uh, well, the single the, source of truth, et cetera. Yeah. Well, it sort of gets back to a fight for relevance, right? It's, everybody wants to be seen as being relevant. And, you know, I think that sort of gets heightened as part of what we talked about earlier in the conversation about you know, automation that can assume, you know, a larger percent of the roles that perhaps some of these groups are doing, that these turf wars suddenly have higher stakes than before. Yeah. And I think as an individual contributor, if, you know, they're listening to this podcast, it, it would be always, you know, it's really tough. Uh, this is a statement I make a lot where we have to not think inside out, like this is my process and I'm trying to drive the customer down my process because that's what I've been trained to do. And that's what I'm measured to do. And that's my productivity mm -hmm. scores, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's a really difficult to get a salesperson who's so driven by those productivity to flip for a second and say, hold on, what's best for my customer? 
Like if I really know my customer, it's not right for them to buy right now, me pushing them to buy may mean that they churn faster. So if I paused and said, you know what, let's give it a couple of weeks, let this new person who's just joined get up to speed and I'll let's revisit it, the customer will trust you so much more. So mm. it it's really hard for a seller to let go of that process and that control and trust the fact that if they do what's right by the customer, in the end, it will always work out. Whether they don't buy from them today, they may buy from them six months from now or the next year or your next job or their next job. They will always remember the sales reps that behave in that way, going back to the owning the behavior comment, right? You right. just, it, it's tough for sellers because they're so um, measured, right? And they're so, uh, it, it, there's so much productivity watching them on what they did all day. Uh, and every day, they just have to learn how to trust the process and 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 communicate with their managers in a way that explains what's going on in the customer's environment. And you just have to have enough in the pipeline all the time to make up for the fact that some may slip, yep. but not trying to force them back in. Yeah, well, it, absolutely. And it's not just trust in the process. They have to have trust in themselves. And this, I mean, this is a point that I've you know, talked about with a lot of guests on the show is is that you know part of I think the downside of, of some of our technologies we had is that we see sales reps just sort of feeling like it's more important to sort of conf, you know conform themselves to the specific process and metrics rather than as you said do what's best for the customer and as a result we see I see when I work with teams those fewer people sort of doing what I did when I was younger in my sales career saying yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna trust my instincts over the process as I got more experience because. This is what this is going to help the customer make the decision to buy from me. And yeah, it didn't always align with the process. But you know, I earned that trust from my boss by, by being right and showing that, hey, we brought business in. And I don't, I don't see salespeople sort of taking that individual initiative quite as much. The top performers do. But there's that, that gap between the top performers that you know, earn that right versus other ones that seem tentative to sort of try to reach out and grab it. Yeah, and I think the answer for me is... Sales reps, individual, individual contributors may actually want to do this. And I'm guessing that a lot would agree if they're listening to this would be like, yes, my God, that's what I deal with every day. And so the only way to fix this is we have to spend as much time with our sales managers, that middle layer, Mm -hmm. even if it's two or three. So a sales lead and then, you know, a team lead and then a couple of team lead manager. And then, you know, as they're, you know, that sort of in between sort of a vice president or an SVP, EVP sort of, right. And an individual seller, like the sales manager in, in helping them trust the process as well, because many managers used to be sales reps. So they manage the way they were managed, not the way we now need to manage today, which is, using the technology to do the things we used to have to have our weekly pipeline calls to talk about. Like, really, you're going to ask me those questions, yet I spent two hours doing all this data entry. Like, okay, you know, like, can you get it out of the CRM system? Um, You should know these things and spend the time with the sellers on coaching and mentoring and learning how to navigate some of the fact that we no longer as sellers own the process. We, We are we are helping our customers go through their journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I think that there's a miss here on we spend time talking about big organizational sales, the individual contributor, the behavior, and we miss this spot around helping managers, especially those that have been promoted from individual sellers, to not manage the way they were managed and now to think differently. And I think if we can do that and empower those managers to then be able to manage both up and down, right? 
coach mm-hmm, and mentor mm-hmm. the sellers, but then be able to very efe- efficiently and effectively with all this new data they have manage up, right? And share with their manager the fact that, you know what, we have some slippage, but I know, I know what's going on. I feel comfortable and confident. You know, now that we've got some of this, these algorithms and machine learning, it's telling me that even with these swings, we know we're going to get it back because, you know, we've got six quarters of data that lets me know that, you know, all of those things mm-hmm. to empower that sales manager to be far more successful because uh, they're stuck in the middle, right? Above them is yeah. saying, close the business. Below them is saying, this process doesn't work. And, you know, they're sort of stuck in between. Yeah, yeah. Help me. I need your help. And Yeah, and I think sales managers are forgotten. We talk a lot about the rep. We talk a lot about, you know, big sweeping changes and big trends. Uh, but we, we miss this opportunity to help the sales manager or even people who aspire to be managers. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that we also have to sort of break the, break the chain, as you talked about, uh, managers managing the way that that they were managed when they were coming up. Because in one example I'll give is, you know, we, we put all this pressure and we talked about early in the show about the really the necessity, the, the requirement for individual contributors to at all times be engaged in continuous learning to up their game, to learn the skills and the relationship skills and so on. They need to, to maintain relevance as, and the technology skills. And yet we expect that they do it all on their own time because that's, that's what we've always done, right? Is we never say to sales reps, yeah, this is really important. You need to develop these things. Yeah, we're going to devote time during the day. We're going to invest in you to get better at these things. Yeah, if we want somebody to read a book, we tell them to go home and read a book. Yeah, I think that that goes back to the management, right? Yeah, where you absolutely. say, listen, I need you to take an hour a day. Like, you know, where I work, we've got something called Trailhead, which is um, a great learning tool that's uh, offered both to our customers and our internal employees and non-customers about all kinds of topics, storytelling, Mm -hmm. diversity, hiring the right salespeople, like, you know, how to open a a sales call, how to, you know, it could be anything. Uh, And and we sort of gamify it, you know, where you, you know, have some kind of way in which, well, people earn badges and things like that on our trailhead. But, you know, you can do things around gamification to get people to do things and invest time in, in activities that you feel will benefit them from a just a pure personal perspective, but also from a manager's perspective, going back to making that time and investment. You know, maybe you take a, a class on communication skills. Maybe you take a class on, you know, writing an effective email because there's no tone in email and you want to mm-hmm. motivate people and make them feel, you know, like you're you're in their corner. Or it might be understanding how to motivate people with different kinds of you know, personalities, mm-hmm. I mean, really getting into the people side of it, right? When you're managing uh, human beings. Uh, and so, you know, I can only use myself as an example is even when I was carrying a quota, I didn't have time during the week to sort of invest in those sort of continual learning. But I made time on my, you know, if I was flying or driving, listening to a, you know, back then it was a <laughs> cassette tape or a CD <laughs> or whatever it might be. And then going to podcasts and webinars where I actually would carve out two to four hours a week to actually focus on something. And so, you know, you have to just make that time, uh, especially if, you know, as the, uh, you know, old adage says, you know, if, if you and I were going to compete in chopping down a tree and we both had a ax and, and in four hours who could chop down more trees and you were just chopping away and I would chop down 10 trees and then I'd sharpen my blade and chop down 10 trees and sharpen my blade, I would beat you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as a sales rep, you need to sharpen your blade and just, 
even if it's 15 minutes, listen to something, listen to this podcast, something else, whatever it might be, uh, you know, you have to take the time because if you don't invest in yourself, nobody else is going to. Excellent. All right. Well, with that, we're going to end the show for today. Tiffany, thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. It was great. Great conversation. Thanks. It was. Yeah. So tell folks how they can uh, get in contact with you and learn more about what you do. Yeah. So you can follow me on Twitter. It's uh, Tiffany underscore Bova. And it's Tiffany with an I at the end. You can follow me on LinkedIn. I've got a Facebook page and, uh, you know, I write and blog a lot. So love to hear your feedback. Excellent. Well, again, Tiffany, thank you very much. And friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Make sure you come back again tomorrow for another great episode of Accelerate. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 